All right, we're going to continue. This is going to be part three of a um, 70-part series. <laughs> what? This is part three of a series that I started uh, a couple of weeks ago called The Simple Gospel. And um, the gospel is simple. It's very simple. It's all about Jesus, following Jesus, give your life to Jesus. And basically, in the first week, we talked about who are you following or who's following who? Are you following Jesus or are you expecting him to follow you? Um, so he said, follow me. That's what Jesus said about concerning himself, giving our lives to him. And, and we started in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where it says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize, realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And then in, in Matthew seven twenty one it says, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And then he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, do many miracles? And he's going to tell those people, Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, unfortunately, in very, that's a very scary situation that many people are going to find themselves in. That they're going to think they're okay, standing before the Lord, thinking they're going to get a well-done, good and faithful servant, and they're actually going to get a depart from me. I never knew you, who, you workers of iniquity. And he's talking to people who, who did their own thing, who lived their own lifestyle. Because following Jesus means when a person gets saved, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says if you believe in your heart that God, re- God raised Jesus from the dead... So you've got to believe that, that he's God, that he's raised from the dead, that he's a living king and savior. And if you confess him as your Lord, and that word Lord means master, it means owner. So it means you are surrendering yourself to the king and saying, Jesus, I belong to you now. It's not just a prayer, a, a lip service prayer where we're saying, okay, I'm saying these words so I can get my salvation ticket. And then I'm going to heaven when I die. But in the meantime, I do whatever I want and live my own life. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not the gospel according to Jesus. And unfortunately, I feel like that's a gospel that may not necessarily be preached, but um, assumed in America. Because Jesus says to count the cost. He says, if any man wants to come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. The picture of carrying a cross, see, the picture of a cross now is, is beautiful jewelry. You know, when you see people wear a cross, it's pretty. And, and, but it's a symbol of execution. It's a symbol of death. So when Jesus says you must take up your cross, that means you must be ready to die. Follow me. Time to lay down your life and follow me. Because he says he who tries to keep his life or save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so it's important for us to examine ourselves to see that I just... Uh, do lip service, or am I following Jesus? Have I committed my life to Jesus? And then the second week we talked about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because when he was talking to the disciples, when he told James and John and Andrew and, and Peter, and, and he said, follow me. And they dropped their nets, they left their dads, and they followed Jesus. So they had a physical person that they could actually see and, and, and physically follow. We don't have him in the flesh. So how do we know that we're actually following Jesus? Because everybody's, well, not everybody, but churchgoers, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I do. We love Jesus. How about, never mind, sorry. So you hear people say, I love Jesus. 
And my question to you is, how do I know you love Jesus? Actually, how do you know that you love Jesus? And people say, well, I just have good, I just have wonderful emotional feelings towards him. And that's nice. But that doesn't prove that you love Jesus. There's one way, actually, Jesus said, here's how you know that you love me. And he says, not by how loud you worship, not by how much money you give in the offering plate, but he says, if you obey me. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. So plain and simple. So it doesn't have anything to do with our emotions, our feelings, or whatever, but if I love Jesus, that'll be proven out by, am I obeying him? So how do I know if I'm obeying him? His word. We learned last week that Jesus was the word, and he still is the word. The word was God. The word was with God. It says in John chapter 1, verses 1, and around there, and it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. And then down, and I believe it's verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know that's talking about Jesus, right? So if I, how do I know I'm following Jesus? I'm following his word. I'm obeying his word. You know, we've heard that many of us have heard the saying, the truth shall set you free. And we talked about how that, and, that's, and that comes out of the Bible. That comes out of the Bible, but that's actually not true. The way we hear it said, the truth shall set you free. And I heard it on a, I heard it on TV the other day. The truth shall set you free. It's like, well, that's not accurate. That's not true, actually. Because they're missing the main parts of the verses that lead up to that statement. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth She'll set you free. And when he says you will know the truth, that word know is gnosko. My wife preached a sermon on that last year. Gnosko means to intimately, intimately know. So in a picture of like a man and a woman in marriage knowing each other physically. That's the same word that's used for you shall know the truth. So he wants us to become intimately acquainted with his word which means we are obeying his word. His, we're making our decisions based on his word. So we know we're following Jesus if we're obeying his word, if I'm building my life upon his word, and if I'm being transformed by his word. Amen? So I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. The Bible says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be renewed with what? God's word. My thinking needs to line up with his thinking, which I'm going to find his thinking when I read the word of God. Amen? All right, so that was, that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. And so today, part three, come on phone. Part three is called Fishers of Men. In Matthew 4, verse 19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So when we're following Jesus, the process is he's going to be changing us into something. 
He told Peter, James, and John, he told his guys, follow me and I will make you into something. And here's what I'm going to make you into. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Jesus says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, the New King James Version, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Jesus put that scroll down and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus summed up his ministry by that that, um, passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he was anointed. Remember, he got baptized, came out of the water, and the Spirit of God came on Jesus. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Acts 10.38 says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we see when we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he came and said, here is what I'm about. Come to set people free. Come to proclaim release to the captives. And then we see what that looks like as we see him engage and encounter people. Remember the leper who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me whole. And what did Jesus say? It's not God's will for you. He said, I want to. Immediately he said, I want to. And he reached out and touched him, and he made him completely whole. And one of my favorite parts about that story is the fact that a leper, now we don't know how long this man has been a leper. It could have been months, it could have been years, it could have been most of his life. But however long he was a leper, During that time, when he was proclaimed or declared as a leper, nobody touched him. Nobody could touch him. They weren't allowed to touch him because he was considered unclean. And so lepers, when they come into town or they come into a crowd of people, they had to say, unclean, unclean. And then people would separate, say, whoa, and they'd let him walk by. And so imagine this man who was unclean had to proclaim, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy to be touched. You can't touch me because I'm poisonous, whatever. But imagine how he felt. Imagine what his, dig- his self-dignity and self-worth was after all that time. And then my favorite part about the story is when he came to Jesus, who obviously he had seen him do miracles. It's like, this guy can do something about my situation. And he said, Jesus, if you want to, you can. And he said, I want to. I did. He did. And you know what, Jesus, how many times have we heard about Jesus saying, be whole, be healed, without even touching him? He could have said that to the leper. Be whole, be healed. But Jesus didn't do that. It says he touched him. I just wanted to do that. It says he touched him. And I believe not only was Jesus healing him physically, but he's restoring his dignity. 
He's saying, you're, you're worth it. I see you. I value you as a person. You're worth it. And he touched him. And he healed the guy. So that's, that's the Jesus that we're following. The woman at the well had a reputation, had five husbands, and was living with a man who wasn't her husband. We know the encounter. He, they engage. They talk and everything. Then she realizes, whoa, this dude, this might be the guy that we've been waiting for, the Messiah. And then she goes and tells the people back in the town. And then they come out, and Jesus has an encounter with them, and they all get saved. It says they all believe in him. So Jesus had an encounter with this woman who he wasn't supposed to have an encounter with, which led to an encounter with the whole town, which shouldn't have happened in the first place. And all these people were impacted by this Jesus. And remember the disciples, they, they had gone into town to get some food. They had gone into town to get food, and when they came back, they saw Jesus talking to this woman. And see, not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. So she had two strikes against her, according to the Jewish culture. Because being a woman wasn't good. And being a Samaritan really wasn't good. And so when Jesus is talking to this lady, and the disciples look at Jesus and wonder, why is he talking to her? Because he was modeling to them what the heart of the Father looks like. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. The exact representation. Another translation says he is the mirror image of the Father. So when you see, the fa- see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus said the things that I say and the things that I do are only the things that I hear and see the Father doing. So when we see Jesus reach out to the leper, that was the Father's heart. When we see Jesus reach out to the woman at the well, that was the heart of the Father. When we see Jesus reach out to Zacchaeus, this man that everybody despised except his friends who were as rich as he was, he was a tax collector. Nobody liked him because not only did he collect the taxes he was supposed to, but he collected extra. And he had an encounter with Jesus. And everything changed. The father wanted to encounter Zacchaeus. And he did through his son, Jesus. Remember the demoniac? The guy that had 2,000 demons in him? That everybody was afraid of? And they had him, he hung out in the rocks and the tombs. He would cut himself. And every time they would try to chain him up, he would break the chains. Talking about bondage. Everybody was afraid of this man. So imagine how he felt, had these demons in him. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. Nobody could help him. And then Jesus said, we are going to the other side, Sea of Galilee. And the interesting thing is, the only reason why we see that Jesus went to the other side was for that one man. Or two, depending on. Because he went, he delivered him. The man was so touched, he was in his right mind. He said, Jesus, I want to come with you. He says, no, I want you to go back to your home and tell, every, tell everybody what God has done for you. And then Jesus and the disciples got back in the boat, and they went back to the other side. So he went out of his way to meet with this man. God, our Father God, wanted to encounter this man, and he did it through Jesus. 
Remember Lazarus? One of Jesus' friends who was, ki- who not, was killed, he died. Jesus came and he raised him back up. Remember the woman caught in adultery. That's a whole sermon in itself because it's, it's only a woman caught. Only the woman was caught. I don't know what the man did. But anyway, woman was caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus. And they were trying to set him up because the law said that she could rightfully be killed. That they can kill her because she was caught in a very act of adultery. And I think the law probably had something to say about the man that she was with. But it's a whole other sermon. But here was a woman who deserved judgment. Who deserved judgment. And they tried to set Jesus up. They brought her to Jesus. And they said, this woman was caught in this. The law says this. What do you say? And then we know the story. Jesus was writing in the, in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. There's all kinds of speculation from historians and theologians. He says, he who is without sin, throw, cast the first stone. They dropped the rocks. They all left. And Jesus says to the woman, where are, your, where are those that condemn you? She goes, there aren't any. Then he says, neither do I condemn you. But that's not all he said. Because it wasn't that, it wasn't that and this is a little side note, it wasn't that Jesus was okay with her sin. Let's get that clear. Because I think Jesus gets a bad rap or a wrong representation thinking that he, was, he, he excused sin. Because he said, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. So when you remember, hear that story, please remember that part. That's a very important part. Jesus didn't excuse people in their sin. But he came to set them free. He came to love on them. So the father wanted to encounter that woman who was in trouble and he encountered her through his son, Jesus. Can anybody, can anybody think of any other encounters that Jesus had with people? Just name, name one. Another encounter he had with somebody. Okay, set that demoniac free. Okay, what else? The left. Okay, five lish, five lishes. Five lishes. <laughs> a lish is a certain kind of fish, okay? So five fishes and the loaves, the little boy's lunch. Jesus fed all those people. So he encountered them. So the father encountered all those people through his son and fed them, took care of their needs. What else? What other kind of encounter? What was that? The woman with the issue of blood, messed up for 12 years, spent all her money going to doctors trying to get taken care of. None of them could help her. The blind man? The centurion who said, You're not, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Jesus says, okay. Because Jesus was about to go to his house. He was on his way going to the centurion's house. And he said, oh, dude. A little girl had died. He raised her up from the dead. And actually, there was a few people that Jesus raised from the dead, wasn't there? Remember the woman whose son had died? She was a widow, the, woman, the widow of Nain, Lazarus. 
Who else? The Syrophoenician woman. Another woman who was not supposed to have any contact with Jesus. But he did anyway. Set her daughter free. Excuse me? He healed leprosy? Yep. He healed the ten lepers as well as the one. Anybody else? Turn water into wine? That's right, the men on the cross. That was the one I, was, I forgot to mention. And what's just so cool about that one that Kelly mentioned is that all through Jesus' life, we see him encountering people. And John even said that there were so many things that Jesus did that the, if they were to be written down, the books of the world could not contain them. That's a lot of stuff. And so Jesus, that was his lifestyle. He did all that encountering people, loving people, setting people free, healing people, doing miracles, showing what the Father looks like. And then when he's going through his own suffering, the worst situation he's ever been in, not necessarily because of the physical pain on the cross, although that is horrific itself, but the fact that Jesus was separated from the Father for the first time in eternity. You ever think of that? The Father and Jesus were together for all eternity past, and they're going to be for all eternity in the, in the future, but there was one time when Jesus and the Father were separated. The Father had to turn his back on Jesus because Jesus became sin. And the Father cannot have sin in his presence. That's what I believe Jesus was stressing out about. When he was in the garden, and it said his sweat became dry, like drops of blood, there's a, real, there's a real physical condition, medical condition, that has a name that I can't pronounce. Where someone can be under so much stress that that sweat, their capillaries or whatever begin to pop and sweat, blood begins to come out of their, their pores. So Jesus was under so much stress that he was, he was sweating blood. And I believe it was because, not because he was about to face the torture of the, the pain, although that's, that would make me sweat blood. But the fact that he was about to be separated from the Father... That had never happened to him before. He was about to be separated. So while he's in his worst condition on the cross, becoming our sin, taking our sin upon himself, and these two men that he's crucified between are hurling insults at him, and then one of them all of a sudden realizes, wait a minute, I know who this is. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And then Jesus said, this day will you be with me in paradise. So even while he was hanging on the cross, he still reached out to and loved people. And then he said to John, remember when he said um, to Mary, Mary, John, John, Mary? Basically, he was saying, John, you're responsible for her. Taking care of people while he's hanging on the cross. You see, that's what the heart of the Father, Jesus says, when you've seen the Father, you've seen me. The works that I do are the works of the Father. So when we see what Jesus looks like, we are seeing the exact representation in the heart of our Father. So then Jesus says, remember when Jesus says, I am the light of the world? Remember when he said that about himself? Look at this in John 8, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke again, spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He said, I am the light of the world. And then 
Jesus says in Matthew Let's see. Matthew 5 verse 14. He said, "You are the light of the world." You are the light of the world. And then he says, skipping down a few senses in verse 16, Therefore let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says in John 20, verse 21 and 22, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Father sent me, so I send you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He told them to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's Matthew 28. And then Mark chapter 16, it says, And these signs will follow those that believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in tongues, they drink any poison, it will not harm them, and they will heal the sick. Very same thing Jesus did. He said, now I'm commissioning you to do that. I think we could see that people were Jesus' number one passion. The thing that Jesus was most passionate about, the thing that Jesus was most passionate about, is people. Do you agree with that statement? Let me say it again. The thing that Jesus was most passionate about is people. Do you agree with that statement? Does anybody not agree with that? You guys didn't catch that, did you? I'm going to say it one more time. The thing that Jesus was most passionate about. Thank you. You know, the Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it's verse 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means that when he was on the planet, when he walked on this planet, he was a certain way. And we see what he was like, right? He's still the same. So what he was most passionate about then, guess what? He's still the most passionate about now. Jesus, the thing that he is most passionate about is you, people. And so his passion hasn't changed, but the way he's going to reach people has changed. Because when he was going up to the Father, he was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, on his way up to the Father, and he says to his disciples, tag your it. What you saw me do, now it's your turn. Just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now go and do what you saw me do. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, those who believe in me, The miracles that I did shall you do also, and greater miracles will you do because I go to the Father. So that which Jesus was and is most passionate about, he still is. But he's saying, tag, you're it. So what does it look like to follow Jesus when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? 
So if I'm following Jesus, I'm going to become a fisher of men. I'm going to become passionate for the same thing that he was passionate about. Remember how he trained the disciples? He said, basically, follow me and watch what I do. And then he did all these wonderful things that we talked about. And then he said, okay, guys, come here, huddle up. Now I'm about to send you into the game. And he says, I deputize you. I give you authority to take the kingdom with you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now go. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Cleanse the leper. Freely you have received. Now I want you to freely give. And then the disciples went out and did that. Remember, they were excited. They came back and they're like, whoa, even the demons are subject to us. And they were dancing a jig and excited and celebrating and everything. Because they were actually able to do the very same thing Jesus did. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many of you are in Christ? This isn't a trick question. How many of you, how many of you are in Christ? You're born again. Jesus is your Lord. Raise your hands, please. Okay, so this passage is speaking to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then talking to people who are in Christ, this is what describes you, okay? If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us. Who's us? Who's us? Us. As us. Those who are in Christ, right? So God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then look what he did, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, now counting the trespasses against him, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So those of you who have Christ in you, you you're, you're brand new, you're born again, you have been given a full-time ministry. Full-time ministry. See, we think, you know, we hear the phrase, oh, this man or this woman, she's calling to the ministry. I see a calling on her life. I see a calling on his life. And when we say that, what do we typically mean? It has something to do with the church, whether they're a pastor, whether they're a missionary, has something to do with, with a traditional sense of ministry, right? Would you agree with that? When you hear that phrase, that guy definitely has a calling on his life. That's what we mean. But actually, according to the Bible, everyone who is in Christ has a calling on his life. Everybody who's born again has a calling on their life, and it's not part-time. Now, where we get mixed up or confused is we get mixed up in people's assignments. See, my assignment is the church. This is my assignment. I have a full-time ministry. My assignment is the church. Somebody in here may have a full-time ministry, but your assignment is working at Walmart. Just as valid, just as much full of the kingdom as my assignment working here in the church. Are you with me? You can work in the police department. You can work at uh, a public school, Oklahoma State University, the hospital, a business man or woman, a stay-at-home mom, full-time ministry, different assignments. We're going to talk about that more in another time. That's probably part 
13 or something. Just kidding. But the point is, when I'm following Jesus, he's going to make me into a fisher of men. That means I'm going to begin to love people more and more and more. The more I grow into him, the more I follow him, the more I'm being transformed by him. It's going to translate into me loving people more and more and more. So, all of us who have full-time ministry calling, just different assignments, we're called to love people. Someone says, people say, man, I want to know God's will for my life. I don't know God's will for my life. Well, I don't know his specific will for your life, but I promise you this, it has everything to do with loving people. So if you're not sure what that looks like, just start loving, fall in the area of loving people and you're already in his will. And then as you get to know him, as you spend time with him, then he's going to begin to define more sharply and specifically what it is your assignment is. And assignments do change, by the way. You can be a pastor one year and be a businessman another time or a missionary or whatever. But that's not our identity. And the calling is still the same. It's to love people. It's to to walk in the ministry of reconciliation when we're encouraging people to come closer to God. People to have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. So how do I know I'm growing in Christ? My love for people ought to be increasing. My actions toward people ought to be displaying love. During worship, I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me something. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. Uh Uh-oh, I thought I wrote it down. (sighs) I wrote it down, so I typed it somewhere. I just don't know where. Hold on, maybe. Try one more thing real quick. Okay, yes, found it, different place. How do you know when you're following Jesus versus a religious system? If you're being religious, you become more prideful, more arrogant, more self-righteous, and judgmental towards people you don't agree with. If you're following a religious system, if you're just going going to church, if you're going through the motions, then what happens is, really, come on now, you become more prideful, more arrogant, more self-righteous, and judgmental towards the people that you don't agree with. But if you're following Jesus, you're going to fall more and more in love with people and display that through your attitudes and actions. See the difference? When I become self-righteous, it's all about what I know, who I know, what I'm about. But the other is about loving people. If you're following Jesus, you're loving people. I'm going to share one testimony real quick, and then we're done. A few months ago, uh, I, I had the privilege of meeting with the, the county commissioner, Chris Redding, and there's a, a few other pastors. We get together once a month, and we pray for our county. He shares some things that are going on from his perspective, and we pray. He's connected to, to the uh, sheriff's department, uh, very intimate with them, so he has information and knowledge, and so he says, hey, we need to be praying for this that's going on, this and that. Well, anyway, on one meeting a few months back, uh, he, he said um, he named an individual, a man who had killed a, an officer, and he said, this man is probably going to get the death penalty. Now, I can't remember exactly what he said because I came in, uh, he was kind of talking right before the meeting started, and so I came in as he was talking about this guy, 
And he was saying something to the point of he's either going to, most likely, whatever, going to get the death penalty. I mean, it's like a, a given. He's talking about this man who, a little over a year ago, killed an officer. And then one of the pastors said, well, you know, if that's the case, this man's going to meet his maker. He needs Jesus. Now, that sounds like a generic, like, duh moment. But I was like, why didn't I think of that? And I realized how we can go through the motions and just go through life and become callous to the fact that people are dying without Jesus. And when John Dickey, pastor of Hillcrest, said, we need to pray for this man because he's going to be meeting his maker. Now, we all are going to, but it's like when a person has a death sentence on them, it's like the reality is like this guy's going to be, die and stand before God. We need to pray for him. And I said, oh, my goodness. I can't, I, and I, I just felt convicted. And I said, man, I just had an attitude adjustment. And another pastor said, you're not the only one, brother. It's like God just adjusted our attitudes because this man who did a horrific crime and he lived a, hor- a horrible lifestyle, Jesus is passionate about him. I may not be, and therein lies the problem. So anyway, he said, we need to pray for him. And then John had to leave. And I said, yeah, we need to pray for this guy. So we started praying for him. After our meeting, we prayed for this man. God, have mercy on him. God, you know, we just pray that, that Jesus, that this man would meet Jesus. That was on a Thursday. On a Friday, this man, I learned for the first time, requested, he wanted to start going to church. The church service is in the jail, but he wasn't allowed to. But one of the jailers said that, well, you can have a pastoral visit. And he said he'd like that. That was on Friday. Prayed for him on Thursday. Friday, he requested a pastoral visit. On Monday, I get a phone call from Tony. And he says, hey, CJ, would you be willing to come meet with an inmate? And I said, is his name so-and-so? He said, how did you know that? Thursday, we pray for him. Friday, he requests a pastoral visit. Monday, I get a phone call, invited me to come meet with him. Tuesday, I go meet with him. And I, I discovered that, well, one, not only had he killed an officer, but I've discovered since then that been in a gang since he was 13, been on the streets. The father was very abusive. And the name of the gang that uh, he's associated with is uh, Universal Aryan Brotherhood. Anybody ever heard of that? I was thinking about signing up. Oh. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I might be confused with something else. Anyway, when I met this man... And I visited with him, and I asked him a question. I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Are you ready to sell out, totally give your life to Jesus? And he said, yes, I am. Now, over the years, I have met with and worked with many inmates in the prison system. I've never seen anything like what I'm seeing now. This man gave his life to Jesus. His countenance has changed. The second or third week, I can't remember, might have been the third week I met with him after he gave his life to Jesus. Two weeks later, it was the third time, two weeks later, he said, you know, you can't follow Jesus and be an Aryan at the same time. I didn't say anything about him being an Aryan. I didn't say anything about that. I didn't tell him what he could and could not do. 
He says you can't follow Jesus and be in this gang at the same time. He says you can't have love in your heart and hate in your heart at the same time. I'm like, dude, who have you been talking to? Because I sure haven't told you any of this. His mom gave him a Bible. He's devouring it. I've been giving him books. He's devouring them and reading them over and over and over because I'm not giving him books fast enough. This man is changing. Changing before my eyes. I've never seen anything like it, like this. He calls me his pastor, his brother, and his friend. Calls me his pastor, his brother, and his friend. Now, here's a man. He knows he's probably going to get the death penalty. Best case scenario, he spends the rest of his life in prison. And every time I meet him, I meet him weekly now. One of my favorite times of the week is to meet with this man. And he says, I'm so happy. God is blessing me so much. I don't hear any excuses from him. I, I hear about his past, but no ex- And the reason why I hear about his past is because I ask him. No excuses. Every week he says, can we pray for the so-and-so family? The family that, that were victims of his, his horrific choice. The wife and children. He prays, God, bless them, help them, comfort them. I'm so sorry for what I've done. And, he's, and you know what? He never asked for prayer for him to be free, to get out of prison, to not go to the death penalty or, or not have that. But he's always praying for the, the jailers. Matter of fact, one time he got into a verbal altercation with one of the jailers. His cellmate told me this. He got into a verbal altercation, and they're going back and forth. And he says, well, why don't you just step in here, and we will settle this. I don't think he was inviting him to a prayer meeting. And he said, and then he realized what he was doing. He dropped to his knees, began to pray, and asked the Father to forgive them, him. And then he asked that guard's forgiveness, and he says, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? So I haven't seen that before. When I'm used to working with prisoners, it's always somebody else's fault, never their fault. All kinds of excuses. This man has accepted full responsibility. And his number one passion, he says, I can't wait to get on the yard. He'll probably go to McAllister. I can't wait to get on the yard. Because see, unfortunately, in the eyes of his brothers, he's a hero because of what he's done. So he knows these guys look up to him and they can't wait for him to arrive. But he says, I can't wait because I get to tell them about Jesus. His number one passion is to tell people about Jesus and to see his family get saved. And I get the privilege of meeting with this man once a week. And I'm watching him change before my very eyes, and it is freaking me out. And I mean that sincerely. I've never seen anything like that. Someone facing what he's facing, and the joy that he's experiencing, and the peace. His countenance is changing. And I was even told by the head jailer, because I said, how is so-and-so doing? Is he causing you any trouble? Because I would like to find out, is this guy kind of running a scam on me? Is he conning me or what? So I asked the jailers, how's he doing? And they're like, we don't have any problems with him. And the head jailer told me this. He said, um, 
I think he said the doctor and the psychologist. I can't remember the, the, the people. They've acknowledged that he's changing. I can't remember the exact way they said it, but they're acknowledging that something's changing in this guy. What's my point? Jesus is passionate about that man. He's passionate about you. You know, he doesn't skip through you. He says, okay, get saved, follow me so I can use you to reach these people. That's not how it works. He says, come follow me because I'm passionate about you. I want you to get to know me. And then as you get to know him and realize how much he loves you and how passionate he is about you, then you're not going to be able to wait to tell other people, hey, i got to introduce you to somebody. He is rearranging my life. And then you're going to be passionate about the things he's passionate about, and it's called people. Would you stand with me? I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I really feel this way. One, I've never been in love with Stillwater as I, I've never been in love with this community as I am now. And two, I've never been more hopeful for this community because of you. Because of you. I believe the church is rising up, waking up, whatever we need to do. And we're saying, you know what? I'm no longer content with the way things are. People being full of hopelessness instead of hope. And I'm going to do something about it. And that's what I feel about this church family and many other church families in this community. Me and, and several other pastors are partnering together, working on an assignment that we want to share with our congregations called Operation Light Switch, which means that turn the lights on. And to love our community in practical ways. We'll be talking about that another time. But I am so excited about what God is doing and what he's going to be doing through you to reach this community. Now I want to ask you to pray this with me. I don't have time to explain this, but what changed in me years ago was when I said, God, I want to see people through your eyes. Be careful. I'm serious. That is a life-altering prayer if you mean it and you invite God to do that. But what are we waiting for? We're dead anyway, right? We're taking up our crosses. So I want to invite you in this prayer with me. We say, God, I want to see people through your eyes. I want to love people with your heart. I want your passion Father, to become my passion. I want you to make sure you're following Jesus. If you realize that you're not, or you want to make sure, as soon as I close, I would invite you to come up and, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. So, Father, we thank you that you're so wonderful, you're so good. And you're passionate about us. 
Thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. We give you honor. We thank you that you are transforming us. You are changing us as we follow you. And we are and we are becoming more effective fishers of men. And we give you permission and we invite you, Jesus, to do that in our lives in a greater level. We want to love people the way you love them. We want to see them through your eyes. Because we want you to be glorified. That people fall on their knees knees, and give their hearts to Jesus. And Lord, we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like prayer for anything, we invite you to come up. And if not, you guys have a wonderful week. Don't forget about Brian and Diana Lee next week, Saturday morning, 1030, ladies. And next Sunday, 10 o'clock. You guys have a good week. God bless you.